Podcast of the Cinema, hosted by you, Dave White, me, yes. Alonzo Duraldi. We are yes. both film critics. Go read our stuff at The Wrap. Right. Um, we are uh, each other's spouse. Correct. And this is our show. Yes. Let's go. Okay. Let's go. I believe in a world in which you get kicked out of a theater Let's go. for filming Let's the go. screen. But apparently now you can film the screen and have somebody else film you filming the screen and no one cares. (laughs) All right. First of all, I don't know. Who is that kid? I don't know. Okay. So this kid, it was a a movie person on Twitter or TikTok or something. Well, he clearly has very deep thoughts about everything. He has like a quarter of a million followers on Twitter, which, you know... This is the world now is one where you can have a quarter of a million followers on Twitter and I can be like, I've never heard of you before in my life. But now he's even more well known because of his behavior during a screening of Black Adam. Now, the um, I don't even remember his name. You got me. It's I I don't know. Anyway, um, he (laughs) he's got his camera phone. In the video clip, apparently something happens during the closing credits Yes, that is meant to be very exciting for people who know and love Black Adam, the character. Uh, It was much lauded, and by the time I saw it, I'm like, really, that's it? And then there is the the moment where he very... In a very performance-like yes. way himself. Because another phone is pointed at cheers him. Cheers on the thing and yells, let's go, holds his arm up. Uh, and then, but it's not just him holding his own camera up to video, I guess, the the screen. But there's a friend of his who is a few rows ahead of him who stands up. I guess to record him doing it because the video is of him doing it and the camera is pointing at his face. And it started so before the thing happens or- that he's excited about. So clearly yeah. he knew this was an organized performance, stunt, a stunt. This yeah. was an organized stunt. The other little video I saw was four of his buddies carrying him out of the theater after it was over. Like he had passed out from excitement or something. <laughs> it's very, it's listen, the kid is a showman. I don't know who he is. Um, I I wonder if he calls himself a film critic. I I, I, I shudder to think I so. hope he refers to himself as a hype man because that is kind of his yeah, job. Yeah, let's get excited about corporate products. I Woo! hope he's getting paid well for the stuff he does uh, because, you know, the studios need public- publicists and, <laughs> and ones that are... Uh, 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 Freelance. You know, freelance and we'll just do whatever because he will clearly do whatever, uh, the, whoever the, he is. The, the, we'll talk about Black Adam in a bit, but the whole thing with this movie has, has yes. it's been so the, I don't want to call it Trumpy per se, but there is a definite like, the critics don't know. This is for the for the people. Like they keep well, putting these I mean, ads on Twitter where it's just like. such a tired old 
it's conversation. A, yes, but it says like Rotten Tomatoes, ninety percent, and then if you look in the small print, audience, audience rating, audience rating, and again, yeah. the audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes means nothing. I know because it reflects the people who bother to go to Rotten Tomatoes to vote. Not even reflective of the people who may have really seen the film. Exactly. Yes. So, uh, the whole critics don't understand thing. I, it's 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 a boring conversation that I no longer but am interested it, it, it in is having. It's a go-to for Dwayne Johnson. Sure. Remember he pulled the same shenanigans well, right before. Listen. Yeah, because Dwayne Johnson I, makes Dwayne Johnson movies. Yeah. Uh, no, but he pulled the same shenanigans before uh, uh, Baywatch opened, uh-huh. which then Baywatch tanked on opening weekend, and I remember responding like, "Oh, so I guess this isn't for the people either." <laughs> Did you say that directly? To him, I on, did because on the Twitter account I, because yeah. because or You're I was I, or I was responding yeah. to somebody and somehow he got looped into it because I said I said okay so before this critics weren't the people and I guess now the people aren't the people either. Alonzo <laughs> <laughs> Duralde, the cat. I had given him good reviews. Of course, times, so he should just. He's an one. actor. You give him good reviews when he's. When he earns them, I like um, skyscraper Dwayne. I don't know why you have to be so upset about this stuff all the time. Um, I find this all very amusing. Um, the uh, the whole idea of using your phone and jumping up and down and yelling in a theater, like if you're at Black Adam. And, and your crowd has decided en masse mm-hmm. that they are going to be enthusiastically participating, then you're going to know it, right? Like a good 10 to 15 minutes into your experience. And if you don't like that, if you are expecting a, a regular movie theater experience mm-hmm. where people are quiet and watch the movie, then what you are going to have to do now in these times is go to the box office and say, I can't deal with this. I need my money back. Yes. I can come back you know, it Tuesday is an unfortunate afternoon. situation that you can't trust, you know, an audience to behave itself. Do what audiences have generally always been expected to do. Yes. You know, not 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 counting like actual audience participation cult films like sure. Rocky Horror or Look, The Room when, or when, whatever. When I went to see RRR and IMAX, RRR, people that's were, a, that is a rowdy crowd. Yes, people were whipping RRR. their cameras out and all that stuff. And it was like, we there get it. That's is, what this is, this is going to be. Uh, you know, comedies obviously lend themselves to audiences making noise. Sure. Um, the the yeah the, if I were in that theater something I like the apple the same way of course yes um I would have turned into uh, Olivia Coleman in the Lost Daughter horror movies <laughs> uh involve often involve audiences yelling at the screen sure um giving directions to, <laughs> to the characters <laughs> it happens admonitions um I so, know a movie's good when that breaks out at critic screenings right yeah when at the critic screening of Kidnap. Kidnap remind the, me. The, when they they take uh, Halle Berry's kid and she has to chase them. Oh, that's the, right. She chases them in the minivan. Yes. Yeah, I love that movie. It's so good. <laughs> well, no, I mean, critics were yelling at her. It was. I was like, oh, this movie's good. Yeah, yes. So, um, now obviously, you are. Uh, listen, if you go with me to the Hammer, the Hammer Museum. Mm. In West Los Angeles. Yes. To the Billy Wilder Theater. To see 
Strobwies. The Antigone of Sophocles, after Holderin's translation adapted for the stage by Brecht, 1948. <laughs> for instance. And you stand up and wave your phone around and yell, Let's go! <laughs> People may look at you askance. <laughs> they might ask you to, to do... They might do this. Shh. Different films ask for different <laughs> different things from audiences. And what? so I will never go see Black Adam. Like, we're going to review it on this episode. And when I say we, I mean you. Yes. Because you went to the press screening and came home and told me about it. And I thought, well, that settles that. I don't have to go. <laughs> so um, I, you know, uh, but if I went to see Black Adam, I would maybe expect people to be, you know, uh, yelling, I guess. I don't know what I would expect. Here's the thing. Because I just am not going to go. There, there is this, there is a level of fist pumping going on because yes. these movies have somehow become one of those, like, cultural barometers. Right. In the same way, like, I, I was reading today on the Flophouse Facebook group. Somebody was saying that they're in a screenwriting group. Right. You know, an online thing where they talk about writing and scripts and they do script analysis yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. And apparently, the they said this is this this that it happened in this group that they're in, and that and at least one other one that they're in, where the organizers finally have to say we cannot discuss the Last Jedi. Why? Because apparently, <laughs> that movie. What's to discuss? That movie right. makes like certain kinds of Star Wars bros so angry. Oh, does it? Yes. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not involved in this conversation. I mean, I, I'm not either, but I'm I very, know, I'm very busy. I know that it's out there, but basically, like Star Wars bros talking about Ryan Johnson. Sure, DC the, fans do they don't like him. That they don't like him. Okay, okay. DC fans defending DC movies. Yeah. Well, defending like the the more Snyderian DC yes. movies. They they're awfully mum about like Shazam and Wonder Woman. And then, of course, like currently, the culture war I'm mired in, which is the Hallmark Gak thing, or Gaff now. Whatever. Another thing that I don't want to yeah. know anything about. Where these these <laughs> these cultural properties become stand-ins for other larger kind of societal political stances, basically. It's a way for everyone to poop on each other. Kind of. That's yeah. great. Yeah, I like I like that, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm sure for a lot of artists out there, it's like great. Thanks for reducing my film to a red baseball cap. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I used to care uh, <laughs> much more about this than I do now. Uh, I just, I you know, I want to go to see the movies I want to go to. Yeah. They generally tend to be somewhat quieter uh, films, just in general, not obviously, not specifically all the time. I love uh, some of the, you know, DC and Marvel superhero yeah, well, uh, MTV video game when, movies. When, when the fascists take over, get ready for nothing but, but Black Adams I, and, and Rise of Skywalkers and whatever CCB's up to. I, um, you know... Uh, I will discuss these. I will get deep into that discussion with folks about those films the day 
they want to get deep into the discussion with me about Strobier. The Antigone of Sophocles after Holderlin's translation adapted for the stage by Brecht, 1948, from Daniel Guillet and Jean-Marie Strobe. Gotcha. That's 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 the deal I'm making with the public. <laughs> Come at me with all your hot takes. Including one. Including a hot take. Some discourse. <laughs> About the Antigone of Sophocles after Holderlin's translation adapted for the stage by Brecht, 1948. How do you like me now? All right. The gauntlet has been thrown. Yeah, I, th- I just did it. I just gauntleted. <laughs> yeah, I don't care if this kid is... People were really up in arms about this kid yelling in the theater and, and jumping up and down and videoing everything. And I thought, eh. Like, I have so many... The climate disaster is, is here. <laughs> Why are we... It's the, it's the let's, number let's, of... Let's talk about something else. It's the number of cameras involved that really... There were several here. cameras involved. Yeah. yeah. This was, again, a stunt a stunt child doing a, a child's uh, stunts. Why not for just, For his fellow uh, children why, why friends. Not, I guess. Why not just film a talk show in the middle of yeah. the movie screaming while you're it's, it's it, it, it had the feeling of it had the feeling of someone's birthday party, <laughs> you know, like we, out of ferals. <laughs> like, here's the like it's just uh, the we, cake comes out. And we, goes, Let's go. We got a bouncy house and a giant cake. Everybody just and dig a screening into of both Black Adam. at the same time. Uh, mm. In a minute, I'm going to need you to stop the recording. Uh, so that I can uh, heat up the oven, okay, and put in your your personal lasagna. Because I'll explain a little bit more about that later. Did you know this You're show? You're so Miriam Polar. <laughs> Do you know this show is sponsored? We, we we basically just talked about Black Adam. Was that your review? <laughs> I'll have more to say than that, but uh, it's, you got the gist. Why don't you talk about Black Adam? <sighs> let's get it. Let's get it. Over okay, with. okay. 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 <laughs> While we're talking about Black Adam. So, this is a character who in the comics was basically like Shazam before Shazam was Shazam. Uh, and of course... There's a lot of Shazams that you well, just said talk okay. about. In the yeah. comics, the, 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 the character in red, who is played by Zachary Levi in the movie, is called Captain Marvel. Right. For obvious reasons, they did not use that name. In the DC movie, the movie is called Shazam, and they never really... Explain what that character's name even is, because right. the name Shazam is an acronym of seven uh, gods and goddesses whose like powers and strength and wisdom he inherits when it's given to him by a, 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 a group of ancient wizards. So in this movie, millennia before, uh, they had previously given these powers named after even older gods right. um, to this to a, a kid who is like a. Uh, a rebel in the kingdom of Kondok because there's this wizard king who's forcing everybody to mine these stones from so he can make this crown that's going to do blah, blah, blah. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Yeah. So kid becomes, kid is given the power of Shazam, becomes Black Adam, destroys the king, palace collapses. We don't hear from him again for, for thousands of years. Cut to today. Kondok is once again uh, occupied by uh, an international uh, organization known as Intergang, which <laughs> sounds ridiculous. It's a thing from the comics that okay. they don't explain. All right. It is the first thing from the comics they don't explain, but not the last. Um, 
Anyway, they have they are currently now making everyone's lives miserable, and they're trying, you know, and, okay. and they, they need a champion. Right. And meanwhile, the Sarah Shahi plays a plucky widowed archaeologist who's okay. trying to find the crown so mm-hmm. that it doesn't fall into her gang's hands. And in so doing, um, summons the spirit, summons the return of Black Adam. All right. Teth Adam, as he's known. Okay. He does not want to be a hero, does not want to be anybody's champion, but sort of gets sucked into this whole thing. Yes. Um, because he comes back and is super, super powerful, this draws the attention of uh, Viola Davis as Amanda Waller. Um, she sends in the Justice Society. Mm-hmm. Who are the Justice Society? Well, if you read yes. the comics... Are they the you know, same as the Justice League? They are not. What's... The, what? Okay. I'm it just... Would, it would, listen, I'm here to learn. It would take too long to explain, but they I'm, are... I'm listening and I'm learning. They actually predate the Justice League. They've All been right. around since like World War II. All right. Uh, but they've never been in the movies, and for their first movie appearance, they are never explained at all. All right. So was that a, is that a, is that intentional? Like, I, no, it's bad. It's bad writing. Oh, okay. All because right. we don't know. Are they just at Amanda Waller's beck and call? Do they do other mm-hmm. things? We don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. They are led by Hawkman, played by Aldous Hodge, who's apparently super rich. But like, is he the Egyptologist uh, Hawkman or the alien Hawkman? We don't know. Movie doesn't tell oh, us. Two different Hawkmans? Over the course of DC Comics history, yes. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, then, you know, we get Pierce Brosnan as Dr. Fate, whose powers are barely explained. That's a good name. It is a good name. He's a lot like Dr. Strange and predates Dr. Strange. Um, you get uh, that... that that You just want to pinch his cheek, Noah Centineo, as Adam Smasher, <laughs> who can grow real big... <laughs> And then Quintessa Swindell as a cyclone, who is sort of a version of Red Tornado, but her powers never really explained. She wait, there's a person called Cyclone and a person called Red Tornado. No, 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 no. they're different. Sorry. Red Tornado in the comics, I'm saying. Is it all right? The, the, the cyclone okay. in the movie is sort of a version of Red Tornado from the comics. Is there a person in the comics named Cyclone, or is there just a person named Red Tornado? Uh, if there is, if there is a cyclone, it, it, she's recent because I haven't been reading lately. Okay. Anyway, continue. But they give her they give her 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 real name is akin to the real name of Red Tornado in the comics. Oh. Uh, anyway, so then they get sent to conduct to try and subdue Black Adam, but they can't because he's so powerful. But then they have okay. to like they they basically have to talk him into surrendering, which they do. But then of course somebody gets that crown and they need him back. And all right, so I'm tired of listening to the plot. I have questions. <laughs> yes. Uh, we can guess, we, me, the royal we, uh-huh. we can guess uh, what's wrong with this film. Mm. I'm going to guess that what's wrong with this film is uh, uh, super, uh, like, uh, difficult to follow fights. Um, yeah. And, like, just sort of like dull, cartoony, green screenish special effects yep. moments. CG sludge. Um and a, a color palette that makes everything look uh, dark and 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 you know doesn't pop on the screen mostly. Um, and you know overly complicated, and I just guessed that from listening to you. Uh, narrative. I, well, both overly complicated and not complicated enough. Okay, so mm-hmm. what's good about it? Go. Because uh, it makes some people jump up and down. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, and I would like to know. I would like to know that pleasure. 
There is an attempt to try and make something different out of Black Adam in okay. that he is not a heroic type of hero. Like he would just assume He's sort of an, an anti-hero. Sort of an anti-hero, <laughs> yes. He will he will just sort of like throw people a very long distance and kill them rather Oh, so than, he kills people. Oh yeah, he does. I like a superhero that murders. Okay, well here's the thing. All right. That in the comics that is a rarer bird. Some bad people deserve in to In the be. comics that is a rarer bird. Some villains deserve to be they, murdered. They've been trying to sort of pitch him that way for the movies like, ooh, he kills people. Right. But as Bibbs pointed out on Twitter, um in the movies, Superman has killed people, Batman has killed people, Wonder Woman has killed people. Yeah, and all it's, the Avengers killed a whole bunch of people. Yeah, it is not <laughs> building that, the building falls on you because the Avengers are fighting somebody the Avengers killed yes you. <laughs> the Avengers like dropped a whole city like it's you know there's a lot happening here so it's not such a big deal in the movies um, this is directed by Joe McCulley Seurat who used to is be cool who used to do all the fun uh, yes uh, Liam Neeson yes movies. and yes. now he does all the crappy rock movies because right. he did Jungle Cruise right which was junk. Which is yeah. and was like was the Rock being like super cutesy and eyebrows and self aware. Uh huh. And then this one, which is the other extreme of the Rock being all like grim and you know, is he billed as the Rock or is Dwayne Johnson Dwayne, or always, is Dwayne the Rock? He's Johnson. always Dwayne Johnson. Okay. Sorry, I just uh, you know sometimes it's shorter to say the Rock. He's always Dwayne Johnson now because he's a serious, important box office star. Isn't he like the number one box office star? Probably. Isn't he like the global number one superstar dude right now? Probably. I'm guessing that he is. And yet still seems to have a very thin skin about reviews. <laughs> you know, listen. If you're out there in the world and you're making movies yeah. that are, you know, for the people... <laughs> Why, why bother? Why bother reading your review? Exactly. Why, Who cares? It? Don't you... Listen, just wipe your tears away with $100 bills <laughs> and go buy something. Yeah. Make, get, treat yourself. Make make your... You're extremely rich. Go, go enjoy, buy an island or Go something. enjoy... Yeah, go go buy an island. Go treat yourself. Enjoy your money. You know, and this, this movie sort of flirts with ideas that it doesn't care to pursue like Sarah Shahi uh, has this one scene where she talks about how like you know intergang has been you know occupying conduct for decades and nobody in the US cared but the second that Black Adam shows up bam they send over the Justice Society oh. and then that's it that's um, the last we hear about right. imperialism for the rest of the movie the personal is political you guys yeah you know it's all just right. a, yeah it's a mess it's and the political is the political too it, it is it's a mess. It's not fun. Your whole life is politics. Everyone who's listening to this show, keep that in your head. Yes. <laughs> and all art is political, even if it's Black Adam. Yeah. But yeah. It's, well, that yeah. sounds great. This show is sponsored by Ovid. Yes. Who will not be streaming Black Adam. <laughs> and that's a, that's a thing in their favor. I want to tell you what's on Ovid this month. There's a wonderful streaming, streaming format that you can subscribe to. We need to talk about Ovid. Uh, they, well, they've, yeah, they've got, we need to talk about Kevin. It's like they're, that's, that's like this week's sort of showcase thing, yes. but starring Tilda Swinton. Yes. And um, Ezra, Miller. Ezra Miller before The Troubles, when they were just little old Ezra Miller. Yeah, as far as we know. And that's a, it's a weird, weird movie. It is. And, 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 sort of gloriously color coded if you watch it <laughs> if you watch it you'll you'll know what i mean um it's yeah. the one thing i super remember about it really loving yeah there's there's one color that is the where's waldo of this movie yeah yeah it's great um here's what is 
so exciting uh, about Ovid this uh, week. The DC TV documentaries uh, are here. The Downtown Community Television Center mm-hmm. was founded in 1972 uh, with a, a community empowerment goal using filmmakers and uh, real stories to educate and inform and organize people. So there's uh, a collection of six DC TV documentaries from the 80s and the 90s. Third Avenue, Only the Strong Survived by John Alpert, and I just clicked through it accidentally. Bullets in the Hood, a bed story, uh, a Cinderella season, Latin Kings, uh, High on Crack Street, Lock Up, many of these by uh, Alpert. Um, and they are documentaries that, you know, the kind that didn't get through into, you know, theaters very much outside of film festivals and museums mm-hmm. and art houses. They are all collected right here. Uh, very grassroots documentary filmmaking. And uh, it's exciting when Ovid has stuff like this and they always have stuff like yeah, this. Yeah, you can pretty much count on them to have the, the, the you know, fascinating tidbits you're just not going to find from other streaming services. So you can sign up at Ovid.tv and hey, use promo code Linoleum uh, for 50% off your first three months of Ovid. So uh... I need to talk about one more movie that okay. I want to direct everyone's attention to. It's okay. called it's called Little Rock. Mm-hmm. It's from a filmmaker named Mike Ott. It came out in 2010, and it's, again, like we talked about the last time, it's one of those little movies that is at risk of just disappearing because a film like this comes out, it makes a little impression at the art house or in a film festival circuit, and then... It doesn't light the fire of conversation that sustains stuff like this. And it requires people like positioning it on a streaming platform for everyone to notice and say, hey, 12 years ago, this movie came out and you missed it. It's about two Japanese siblings whose car breaks down uh, in the middle of California. They are on their way to Manzanar. And that's where the Japanese internment camps were oh. uh, in during World War II. They get stuck in a small town and they meet just folks who are languishing, I guess you can say, in this little town that's kind of dying and they stick around. Hmm. And it is a, a, again, a quiet film that feels like one thing on the surface and many other things under the surface about displacement and identity and, you know, what it means to be sort of locked out. It's called Little Rock. Right. You should go to Ovid, enter, what's the code word? Ovid.tv, enter a promo code Linoleum for 50% off your first three months. Right. And then you can watch this, you can watch those documentaries, uh, you can even watch... Uh, we, need uh, to talk about Kevin. we need to talk about Kevin. Ovid. We like it. Yes. Moving forward. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Ovid, for advertising with us. <laughs> we love you very much. Um, boom. I need to turn down my volume. Yes, you do. Uh, Halloween ends. Dot, dot, dot. Or does it? Question mark. Oh, I think it does. No, I, I, it, only in that I believe that no franchise ever really dies. But yes, as far as this track of the story... I mean, I'm not going to give away the ending, but I think it's done. It, it, it one could 
one could assume that yes, they're they've been there. Yeah. Now, uh, this franchise has gone off in a lot of different directions over the years. You know, there was Season of the Witch, was which was a sequel that had no antecedent and no follow-up. It was a standalone. It was a bottle Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, was, it was an attempt to turn the Halloween brand into like a, an annual anthology. Yes. And it did not work. I yeah. mean, at least the movie, people didn't see Season of the Witch, so they scrapped the idea. Yeah. Season but of the, the Witch cult, has gone on to become a cult, very popular, cult favorite. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Everybody, who doesn't really love that that film? I love that film. I don't love the film just because like the lead performance is so bad. But I I love the premise of the movie and I love the the payoff of that movie. Um, because this series of films has gone off in so many directions. Yeah. With different filmmakers with different visions and sequels that sort of just spun their wheels. There's no unified theory, real way to unite them all. Yeah. Um, so what we have currently is a three film trilogy mm -hmm. from David Gordon Green, which takes as its precedent, the first, only movie. the first, movie. only the first movie. Um, each of these films have expanded the discussion of evil and trauma. The first one uh, is Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis, coming to terms with the legacy of this event that happened to her when she was a teenager. And the destruction that it has wreaked on her life and in the course of these three films, on the life of her family and on the life of her town, Haddonfield. Uh, the second one, to me, felt very much like it was about Donald Trump and the chaos in the United States during the presidency of Donald Trump. So much of the horror film, so much of horror cinema is... A, a stand-in for something that's going out in the going on out in the world, you know. It is about the slasher. It is about the killer. It is about you know the isolated you know uh, evil in some place. But then it turns out it's kind of maybe so about something else that's going on out in the world. Right. Invasion of the Body Snatchers is about pod people, but it's also about McCarthyism. Right. Last House on the Left is about Vietnam, yeah. or you know, you know what I mean. Like yeah. um, Midsummer is a Me Too movie. Yeah. So that second film, Halloween Kills, I will talk to you all day about how it's about Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. This one feels like it's about the world after Donald Trump. The the world we the, the United States that we now live in after this maniac con man's presidency. And now I want you to stop the recording so that I can turn on the oven and put your beautiful lasagna in. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the plot of this movie. Let's go! <laughs> and we're back. Yes. Um, the lasagna is safely in the oven. Yes. And I know that excites everybody who's listening. Uh, I made a big lasagna Friday night while you were gone. You went to Greenville, South Carolina to I do did. the Deck the Hallmark Marathon. Yes. Season five. I stayed home and cooked for friends mm -hmm. Friday night. Made a big lasagna for friends that came over and ate it. 
and I left. Uh, I made. I intentionally made too much because I knew that you would come home after eating, spending a weekend eating uh, gas station food, basically. <laughs> um, that you would want, you know, something lovingly prepared. Yeah, I just figured I was getting leftovers. I didn't realize you were going to no, make no, no. my own special mini. I held the ingredients close to my heart <laughs> because my heart is refrigerated. To keep them cold, I was yes. going to say. And I uh, uh, constructed you a fresh new personal 6 by 6 inch lasagna this afternoon. Personal pan lasagna. I'm yeah. Excited. And so that's that's currently what's in the oven. Cool. And it's, listen. Friday night's lasagna was super delicious. Mm-hmm. If I do say so myself. I, I believe you. And because uh, I combined the Ruth Reichel bolognese with the Jake Kenji Lopez alt situation with the spinach lasagna, only there's no spinach in this. Oh, okay. Just this is just melon? this is just meat. Sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like the spinach one too. But. Yeah. Uh, what was I talking about? Halloween, Halloween ends. ends. It begins. With a pretty brutal death yeah. that you are not expecting. Well, I mean... <laughs> in that it's the beginning the, of the movie, you're expecting the, something. The child in question sets it up. Yeah. With a... with a the, the, the little kid who's being babysat says, Michael Myers just kills babysitters, not kids. And I'm like, you're becoming really obnoxious really fast, <laughs> young child. Might it be you, who is the killed person in the first three minutes of this film? Guess what? Yes. <laughs> um, said babysitter is a guy named Corey, who, even though the kid's death was an accident and is eventually later even proven to be an accident, the town decides... Turns on him. Yes. Like Turns on Corey. He's bad news. He's a kid killer. And so even though he is, you know... Potentially a, a sweet, sensitive boy. He is also this, like, now kind of walking rage machine because he's been, you know, bullied by the town for several years. Played by Rowan Campbell, Canadian yes. uh, actor. Hope you like Corey because you're going to get a lot of Corey. You're going to get a whole movie. lot of Corey. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Laurie Strode, uh, after spending two movies ago living in, like, a bunker jigsaw death trap of her own design and, and on the off chance that Michael ever came back uh, she seems to be chilling and doing her I had to ask myself typing as she <laughs> writes what sounds like a very boring memoir um, and living with her granddaughter both of whom are grieving the death of Judy Greer in the last movie yes um you know you and and then you know we also we get some moments where we see that Lori also has been kind of turned on by the town at times as well, where it's like, you know, like somebody describes the events of Halloween as, you know, you taunted a guy with mental illness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like there's somebody says that to her, like that's the version of what happened, you know? Right. So she's also dealing with that stuff. So of course, you know, she and Corey kind of grow close. Her granddaughter is into Corey and they're sort of maybe trying to date, but of course the awfulness of Haddonfield just keeps creeping up on everybody all the time. Um, at one point, these like high school band kids who are also like bully delinquents. It's like, you know, you're at the bottom of the pecking order if you're getting bullied by the band kids. Nope. I'm going to tell you why. (laughs) I was in the marching band. I know. 
And there were some of the uh, meanest, uh, low-down <laughs> kids in that marching band. Wow. Who would, like, hang out by themselves and smoke and plot things. And d- they were part of the marching band. You did not hang with them because wow. you were afraid of them. Wow. They were the tough kids in the marching band. Not the experience of my high school. That okay. was my high school marching band. Anyway, these these marching band ne'er do wells, uh, they like you know basically drive Corey off. A so I believed every moment of this. Okay. <laughs> he survives the fall, but he finds a tunnel, and in that tunnel he finds Michael Myers. Michael Myers. Yep. Somehow, somehow, still around. And then uh, killings things, begin. Things All right, you're 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 diminishing this the quality well, okay. of this film. Look, you because you and I really don't see. We the don't. Same thing you happening. read all this stuff into it, and you think these are really great. Oh, do I? I? You do. Do I read things into well, it? Well, I'm not saying okay. things that aren't really there. I'm saying, for or am I just actually watching the film? Oh, oh, am I not? What am I doing? What am I doing? Because I'm who's, not paying. Who's really movie? watching the film, yes. Alonzo? Well, fine, whatever. <laughs> these movies are like super deep and important to you. I think the the David Gordon Green trilogy has been garbage. Uh, I haven't liked any of them. Full I, disagreement. In fact, I'm going to say this. Yeah. With the exception of the sort of fun, sick things that I like about Season of the Witch, mm-hmm. you could get rid of every Halloween movie made after <laughs> 1978, and I would be fine with that. No Rob Zombie, no Halloween Water, no uh, Tyra Banks in the frat house, whatever that one was. Uh, a, a great movie sullied by a terrible ongoing legacy. But go ahead, Dave. Tell us about how this movie is about, you know, the uh, the G8 summit or whatever. <laughs> yes. The G8 summit. <laughs> it's on everyone's mind. Yes. <laughs> how is this movie about the Treaty of Versailles? <laughs> uh, okay. So, again, the child, the child at the beginning of the film dies. And the rage over that in the town sort of reverberates. You know, it was accidental, like you said. But after years of the town vilifying Laurie Strode, mistakenly vilifying her. Yes. Like, turning the story around so that now she's the problem. Or she's the bad guy, right? Right. Um, You teased that man... Someone says to her at one point, yeah. you did this. They now have someone who is a fresh person to vilify. Right. Um, all their rage and resentment that they parked in Laurie Strode's garage, <laughs> they are now... Uh, Dumping on gonna, They're now going to take it out on this 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 kid. Um, so this is what's so interesting to me about it because... What you have is a town that has been, and they use these words frequently in the film, like repeatedly. The town has been infected with violence and trauma and pain and death and misery and rage and blame. They use the words contagious to describe the town's like hollowed out moral life. The social fabric of the town has been 
destroyed uh-huh. because of this event and the and the the blame that has resulted in the in the wake of the event. Um, it is a film about scapegoating and what can happen to a scapegoated person, you know, who might just say, "Oh, is that what you're going to think about me?" Well, guess what? I'll just be what you say I'm going to be. So when he finds, when Corey finds Michael Myers, his thing is, teach me how to do it. Teach me, teach, mentor me mm-hmm. in the ways of maniac marauding and murdering. Okay. I find it hilarious. And I don't know if this is meant to be funny, but I mean, Danny McBride is part of this film. Mm-hmm. He's a producer. I think he co-wrote the script. He's one of like the four writers, I think. Laurie Strode spends the first 40 minutes of this film doing the most live, laugh, love self-care that I have seen. <laughs> it is, it is, I think it is such satire in a way because she's, you know, she's found her peace. She's Baking all the time, meditating, writing her memoir. You would think a Laurie Strode memoir would be a a a a, a horrific thing to read, right? As you said, it seems like the most boring memoir in the world. I cannot help but see this and go, okay, so this is we're we're talking about what happens in the face of an entire social environment erupting around you. The world is chaos. People are pointing the finger at each other. They are pointing the finger at her randomly if she goes out in public. Mm -hmm. So what does she do? She cocoons and she self-cares. And that is how she survives the, the social trauma going on around her. What does that sound like to you? Oh, boy. What does that sound like to you? Okay, great. So this, okay. is, a, this is a pandemic so metaphor. The generational trouble the generational trouble is now just getting started, okay? Because now her own granddaughter is going to become fixated on the killer of the movie. <laughs> and it's not Michael Myers. Right. Michael Myers does, you know, some of the killing. Michael Myers is tangential to this story. Yeah. This isn't even really a horror movie. It is a drama about the world as it exists right now. It goes out on a limb. I'm going to say this and you're going to laugh at me. It goes out on a limb to dare to be something other than a, a slasher horror movie. Well, I mean, you know, Bib said that at times it feels like a pilot for a Haddonfield series yeah where like other things happen on halloween that aren't about laurie strode and it's just it, but it, it's just it's weird to be like watching what is supposed to be the last of this saga uh-huh. and we're spending all this time away from what has been the central narrative of this saga and it's like it's okay. like it's like a backdoor pilot where you know the the the, the lead characters go on vacation and it's about no. the house sitter or no something. because all the main characters are still here and they're still in play but what you now see is the expanded version of their little micro drama, right? Mm-hmm. Michael Myers is a crazy maniac, psychotic, you know, evil, unkillable <laughs> killer. And Laurie Strode is a perennial victim, but also a survivor. And, you know, 
That is a dance that has been going on every time those two characters are in a Halloween sequel. But now you've got the community involved. You've got all these other people on the board, and they all represent not just what is happening in the world of this little fictional town, but in the real world outside of the movie. You have a prominently placed supporting character who is a local radio DJ, who is a conspiracy theorist, who does nothing but talk about the real truth about what's going on here and there and everywhere and all the conspiracies that, that, that he has cooked up in his own head. Do you remember how that, this is a spoiler, you knew this character was gonna die you remember how this character dies in the film? Don't say it out loud, but it is visually meaningful. I, I we'll talk about it after the show's over. So anyway, <laughs> this is a film that is meant to underscore the way that we are all, right now, transmitting pain and agony and misery and blame to each other, back and forth. It is about life in the United States right now. And then there is a bit of a it's a wonderful life kind of ending <laughs> where they, Which, yeah. they all have to come together and I'm not going to say what happens. After the, entire, but... after the whole movie has painted Haddonfield as being this cesspit of terrible people, yeah. then the movie lets the, the town off the hook at the end mm. or, or provides them a redemption that they aren't. That okay. they don't deserve. See, I don't. You're, you're you are reading this in an entirely different way than I am. I don't think it's about redeeming them. It's about them coming to the end of their rope and having to do something about mm. this situation. I, but I, I think only when it's been handed to them on a platter. Fine, we disagree, we and we're do going to disagree. continue to disagree. I think this is really good. <sighs> I think this is really good because it dares to go off and be something other than what you might be expecting. I would be thrilled for it to go off and do something other than what I was expecting if that thing was any good or interesting or like was building something else or coming to some fruition that meant anything. But I think we this movie is spinning its wheels with this new character. And yes, you can you can ascribe all this meaning to what that new character represents. It's in the film. Fine, but all that, of those things are. But in the it film. doesn't make it any more narratively interesting or uh, satisfying. It it just feels like a bunch of ideas thrown out, and they don't really, they don't pay off. And I think as a horror movie, it's not particularly scary. No, it's not because it's not a horror movie. Of course, <laughs> it's not a horror movie. Halloween Ends is not a horror. Halloween movie. Ends is not a horror. Okay. movie. Okay. I'm, I'm giving, and I like it like that. I'm, I'm giving you Jennifer Lawrence meme now. Good, do it. I don't care what you do. I'm making you a lasagna. I'll win. I'll win in the end. <laughs> I will eat your lasagna with and deliciousness. Never, <laughs> and never acknowledge that you, anything you're saying about this movie is true in the slightest. Uh, I'm glad I saw it on Peacock and didn't spend actual money or even leave the house for it because it's. It dumb. made a whole lot of money at movie theaters. Yes, but apparently yeah. not as much as they expected. Oh, because true. it was that's... on Peacock, what they think. Yeah. Wendell and Wild mm. is currently in theaters. Yes, and it drops and on a, Netflix this Friday. It's about to hit Netflix right now. Yes. In any minute now. Friday. And what happens in Wendell and Wild? 
Can you distill it down to what one thing? What doesn't? It is a stop-motion animation yes. film from Henry Selleck and Jordan Peele. Yes. Yeah. And very much a reflection of both of their sensibilities. Uh-huh. Uh, so there's a young woman named Kat, and uh, as a child, her parents die in a car accident. She blames herself for it and has a fairly miserable childhood in and out of reform school, or not reform school, um, um, uh, foster homes and yeah. uh, eventually juvenile detention. Uh, she gets sent off as in some program to this like Catholic boarding school. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out that there is that the town has been destroyed by this rich couple who wants to put up a private prison. Um, and that they had something to do with the uh, destruction of the brewery that Kat's parents ran. Meanwhile, in hell, <laughs> uh, there are these two demons who are the son of the devil, I guess. Yes. Uh, whose job is to basically um, mine and redistribute his hair cream. And this hair cream, it turns out, has all sorts of magical properties. Yes. And they realize that if they can come to the surface world and use the hair cream to revive the dead, they can get enough money to build their own theme park. Yes. Turns out that Cat is a hell maiden who can communicate with the demons and be sort of a conduit for them to come to Earth. And so in exchange for reviving her parents, Cat promises to get them a a, a, a toy called a bear's above. And <laughs> there's so much happening in this movie. <laughs> it feels like two movies sort of jammed together. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. not... That can, but not always, be a good thing. In fact, it often feels like a clashing of tones that doesn't quite play out in a way that it should. Um, But Henry Selleck, his stop-motion work is very precise and very detailed and gorgeous and bizarre and outrageous. And, you know, on a craft scale, this movie is, you know, chef's kiss. Script-wise, however, I was less into it. Well, that was a medium valiant attempt to describe all the things that happen in this film (laughs) there's a lot it it is there there is uh quite a lot um but okay first let's talk about the filmmaking itself um i had no idea what was waiting for me Mm -hmm. watching this film Uh, i knew it was from henry selick and from jordan peele I didn't know if it was aimed at children, if it was aimed at older children, if it was aimed at adults. Uh, I will say, if I were a parent, I would be like, uh, older kids. Eight, nine, ten, depending yeah. on the maturity level of the kid. This is not for little children. No. Because it, there's a lot of adult uh, themes and, and traumatic stuff that takes place yeah. in the film. I mean, within the first three minutes, you're watching cat's uh, mother and father drown in a car accident yeah and and she has to escape and survive and swim up to the surface and, yeah and she's and like eight years old at the time her guilt stays with her all the way up until you know uh, the the present setting she blames herself yeah. for that death and so the tone of the film is already set as one about you know a kid who cannot forgive herself for something that she really didn't do at all right uh, the color palette here, that this was your first clue. If a film is aimed at little children, it is the color of a bag of Skittles. 
It is Minions Yellow. It is. It, it is. It is Trolls World Tour. It is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It is. It is. It is going to harm you with color. Lisa Frank. This is a film where the color palette resembles the real world, and that is uh, funny because so much of the action takes place in the world of the supernatural. So it's as though you've got a supernatural world that is just like life. <laughs> I mean, the, the the color choices in the supernatural world are, are, are often different. Correct. But they aren't, you know, like totally fantastical either. It is, as you just said, narratively packed with stuff uh, almost too much. I would say it would benefit from a repeat viewing after you try to absorb all of it the first time. <laughs> I think it would definitely benefit from a repeat viewing on the big screen mm. if you can get to a big screen where it's showing because it demands your focus. It is not a, a quickie little movie. It's not like a 90-minute animated film for children. It is pushing two hours long. Hour 45. And so, again, it demands your focus, your sustained attention, and even then, you still might get in too deep trying to mentally juggle all the stuff that it's throwing at you narratively. There are lots of characters, lots of supernatural information that's not easily delivered in exposition-based dialogue. There, it is. Uh, uh, some of it is only shown. Some of it is hinted at. Um, there's an entire character that I'm not still not entirely sure oh, what their purpose was. The, there's a character that you don't understand what he's doing until the end. Yeah. Um, in a way, it's like, nope, it's like us. Because you've got so much stuff being thrown at you and you think, wait, what's, what's that person doing? What are they going to be doing? How does this all fit in together? The, final, fit the final 20 minutes of the movie really just wraps everything together in a package in a way that us and Nope did not. <laughs> uh, films that were left much more open to uh, suggestion and interpretation. This one, you get it all tied up at the end, but by the time you get it all tied up, you're thinking, wait a second, how did we get here? Not how did the film do this, because the film does it. But you feel like you have to go watch it all again so you can really live in the story. And I think it's a story worth living in for that for that second viewing. Um, I, I think that here's the thing. I yeah. think you could have you have like there's the cat personal story. Yes. There's the story of the town and trying to save it from the awful rich people. Yes. And there's the story of the demon brothers who want to bust out of hell and make their own amusement mm -hmm. park. And I think, and then there are the peripheral characters like oh, the nun, who right? Yeah, is, no, 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 no. Who is deeply connected to Cat, even though we don't know that. Sure, no, no, yeah. no. They're, they're, believe me, I'm just scratching the surface. I'm saying yeah. those big three major things yes. could all sustain films of their own. Uh huh. And packing all of this together, it just feels like okay. And uh, okay, uh, all right. <laughs> I, I guess I. It I. We disagree about this. I've, you you like Jordan Peele's brand of maximalism. Oh, I really do. Whereas, like, I think, you know, again, Get Out is such a... 
perfectly concise and contained movie. And every movie since then feels like this could be the last movie I ever get to make. I have to put every single idea in it. And that's, I think not good storytelling, and I think that oh, if, I think it's I think it's, it's fine storytelling. I think Jordan Peele needs to take off one piece of jewelry before he leaves the house. <laughs> narratively speaking, say that to Baz Luhrmann. Baz Luhrmann could benefit from that as well. Although, I disagree. Baz, Baz Luhrmann, here's the thing: Baz Luhrmann's <laughs> movies go off so far that the excess is the point. Okay. Whereas in Jordan Peele movies, there are other points to be made, but he's making too many of them at the same time. I think that's the difference. I found so much pleasure in these images. Yes. Uh, and the filmmaking, the, Henry Selleck is, is very frequently giving you visual uh, uh, like jokes that he's telling to who knows who. <laughs> you know, um, I love how distinct the character design was. Sure. Uh, which... I mean, recalls a little bit about Nightmare Before Christmas, recalls a little bit about Coraline. James the Giant Peach never gets enough love. It never does. But you feel that continuity of his work. It is horror movie gross when it wants to be. Yes. It is Key and Peele sketch comedy when it wants to be because they are the demons. They are Wendell and Wilde. Yes. It should be said, by the way, Lyric Ross from This Is Us. She's the voice of Cat. Angela Bassett is the the enigmatic nun. Yes, and James Hong is the priest who uh, runs the place. Mm-hmm. The uh, you know it 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 explores teenage orphan grief and guilt when it wants to. It indulges in the excitement of being a stylish teen goth hell maiden <laughs> when it wants to. They'd call her that in the film. Yeah, hell maiden is, is her actual title. Her title is she is a hell maiden. Yes. Uh, it's about private prisons. <laughs> it's about the school-to-prison pipeline. It's about the ruinous effects of uh, capital on small towns where everything is extracted from the community and the town is ruined, leaving nothing behind but a husk. When, the, when, the, when the town stops being profitable. Um, it's about black punk rock. Yeah. <laughs> Every band on the soundtrack is X-Ray Specs, uh, uh, the 70s sort of proto-punk uh, band called Death, not to be confused with the death metal band that was also called Death in the 80s. Um, it's about... The specials, Living Color, yeah, TV, uh, on the radio. Uh, TV on the radio. It's about gender nonconformity. It's about uh, it's about teenage identity, even if you are not a gender nonconforming uh, uh, kid. It's about the corruption of the church. It's about the cultural condescension of charity programs. It is about so much. And it's why I love Jordan Peele, because he doesn't he doesn't say, well, okay, it's already about four things. Do I make it about seven? Sure, I'm going to make it about seven things. And is it... Full of loose ends sometimes, narratively or visually, and 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 do you do you have a hard time as an audience member sometimes like juggling all of those things in your head? Yeah, watch it again. I dig this movie. I I, I like a lot about it, and I loved looking at it, and yeah. I will enjoy the eventual coffee table book that Netflix sends us. 
<laughs> with images from the film and its production. Oh, when you watch it, uh, make sure you don't let Netflix uh, bump you off the credits because yes. there's, there's some cool stuff, fun stuff during the credits, yeah. all the way to the very end. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I look. I think I think this is a more successful movie than Nope or Us, but it it is that thing of like, uh, you know, I'm always dubious when you know filmmakers like shoot the moon on their first movie and then no one can edit them anymore. <laughs> Looking at you, Quentin Tarantino. Um, oh, know. he just felt looked at. What? Quentin Tarantino just felt looked at by you. <laughs> Good. You, I, you, you've made a lasting impression. I hope, Quentin I, I, Tarantino. Hope, I hope there was a tingle in his spine. Like yeah. someone's looking at me. Someone just looked at me. Critically, uh, exactly. Anyway, so yeah, uh, yeah I, but I, I just, oh god, it, it, this this movie is is de trop. <laughs> okay, so so far, recapping this podcast, mm. we don't care about the kid who yells. You didn't like Black Adam. Mm-hmm. I don't care about Black Adam. You don't like Halloween ends. I like Halloween ends. You, kind of, sort of ish, half like this one, mm-hmm. but I fully like this one. Yes. Maybe you should go see Black Adam. I'm kidding. Even though you're being very disagreeable this week, I can guarantee you will not like Oh, Black I'm not Adam. seeing Black Adam. No. There's no point. Uh, hey, yeah. hey, gang. We have a Patreon. Yep. Patreon.com slash linoleum knife. If you like this sort of thing, you get even more of this sort of thing. Starting uh, as low as a dollar a month, you get yep. uh, daily recommendations. You get linoleum knife presents more linoleum knife, where we go in deeper for about 20 minutes or so on a single movie usually an older one uh lktv a podcast of the television linoleum knife and fork a podcast of two film critics talking about food um linoleum nights where we discuss anything and everything plus uh club meetings and other fun stuff so yeah patreon.com slash linoleum knife check it out maybe it's for you got a letter okay there's a letter from sean mm-hmm. uh i have scoured the letter segments for the last few months and have concluded that my Matrix Resurrections email was one lost to the sands of time. I, I, maybe, Perhaps. I guess it was. Listen, here's the thing, y'all. <laughs> we get a lot of letters. <laughs> and we try to get to all of them, and sometimes we don't get to all of them, and I apologize that we don't get to all of them. Uh, and sometimes they uh, uh, do just... Get buried. Get buried and, and uh, lost. Yeah. So if you write to us and you put your heart into a letter and you never hear us talk about it and you want us to talk about it. Send it again. Resend it and be like, hey, maybe you forgot. Because there's a lot of forgetting going on. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, if you find it and read it, thank you. <laughs> if you have read it and I just can't find the episode where you did, I'll have to keep looking. But if you haven't read it and don't read it, no worries. Basically, people should study the coffee shop scene with Neo and Trinity with regard to more nuanced depictions of transness in media. Hmm. But while I'm at it, I thought I would make a list of comments on previously covered movies and topics. Alonzo, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. There are good Elvis movies, and the best one is King Creole. Did I say there were no good Elvis movies? Mm-hmm. I don't know. What did you say? I don't know, but I, I can't believe I would have said that. But if I did, I apologize, and I would have been wrong. I acquired a bulk of Elvis movies to find out for myself, if any are worth seeing, having never seen a single one before, but having had the biggest crush on Elvis from ages 8 to 11. Hmm. 
the Baz film reignited my love, and I'm back on my BS, as they say. <laughs> uh, I highly recommend if you have not checked out Bibbs's ranking list of the entire Elvis Presley filmography, which he went back and watched Will all of on the rap. Go the hardest working man in show business. I'm telling you, he takes the hits. <laughs> Uh, this letter is beautifully organized into bullet points. Oh, yeah. So here's the next bullet okay. point. Seeing X in theaters, I did not seem to have the reaction a lot of people had to the old people sex, or the old people in general. Where all the middle-aged folks around me were hollering and groaning in agony, I found myself sympathetic and heartbroken by the depiction of elderly folks not losing their sexuality as they age. In a film with plenty of meta-commentary regarding filmmaking and youth, the scenes of Pearl showing her sexuality and being punished for it, in film and by the audience's moaning, felt to me like the tragedy to the rest of the film's comedy. Movies tackle the struggle of losing youth and beauty all the time, but often they do not cover sexuality as something that does not go away, but is shunned by society once you are not deemed worthy of it anymore. I appreciated... Ty West making a point to show Pearl as someone who still seeks out fulfillment of her desires, much to the disgust of those around her. It hit me as a sobering moment in a sea of gore, humor, and titillation. Hmm. I agree with that. That's Yeah, that's an interesting take. Because my immediate thought was just like, that this movie is doing the thing that, it, that, they, that, that people always do, which is like mocking it or being repulsed by it. But I see your point. On Letterboxd, I wrote a review for Crimes of the Future, exploring a trans-ecofeminist reading of the film with regard to acceptance of different bodies in the face of both a dying world and those who want to kill human progress and change. I adore it, and it is probably going to be a large chapter in the book I'm writing about Cronenberg's films through a trans lens and what his brand of body horror, or as he calls it, body beautiful, means to me on my trans journey. Hmm. Next bullet point. I love that you both love Orphan and Orphan First Kill. Mm. Those movies are way up my alley, as is The Boy. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> because as much as I thought Brahms, The Boy 2, was really bad, boy howdy, do I love 2016's The Boy. All that bad Ronald energy <laughs> carried with me, and it was given back to me in The Boy. Uh... Uh, those movies are way up my alley, as is The Boy and The Good Son, yeah. which is another great one, which I watched for the first time recently and adored. In regards to another listener mentioning the immersion that came with the Comanche dub of Prey, I will second that, uh, that notion. I felt the exact same way and would recommend anyone who hasn't seen the movie yet to watch the Comanche dub first, if possible. Mm. Lastly, my partner and I have a reading of the film Deep Water similar to yours. Dave, I love your comparison to Crash, another movie that my partner and I adore. That apparently is completely contradictory to the source material, and we just do not care. Our reading... Yeah, I read the wiki page of what happens in the book, and I'm like, whoa, okay. Uh, our reading is that Melinda and Vic are a dom-sub couple. <laughs> Melinda is the dom, Vic is the sub, and engaged in a 24-7 role play as cock husband and adulterous wife. They play this game out in the open for all of their rich friends to see, pushing the boundaries of what is real and what is performance. 
the murdering is part of the game, seeing how much they can get away with since they want for nothing and have all their needs met through tech, through tech money. They love seeing their friends gossip about how messed up their relationship is, but know they'll never do anything about it until the screenwriter comes along. Side note. Their daughter is definitely going to grow up to be a serial killer. Oh, for sure. <laughs> My partner and I believe the linchpin to the entire story and kinky dynamic is the final shots of the movie mirroring the first shots, as if they have done this before and will do it again. We found this movie so hot and so fun and love it to bits. We want anyone who didn't enjoy it to try watching it again with the idea that this is all a game they play and see if it hits differently. <laughs> That's I, I don't know what other reading there is, frankly, that makes any sense. <laughs> um, when I read the title Deep uh, Water in the first sentence of this bullet point, my first thought was, was the, the shark movie, the Todd Haynes film Dark Waters. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, wait, we're going back to Dark Waters? And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. it's the Deep Water. Yeah. It's the Ben Affleck. Adrian Lyne. And Ana de Armas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know what happens in your yeah? It's what happens in your brain where you're like, sure, yes. I'm misreading something right now. I, I, open yeah. water. That's the movie I was thinking. I, that's what I thought of when you said it. <laughs> uh, okay, there are a couple other letters, and they are in AOL. Uh, they are indeed. And I'm going to find them, and little, I'm going little to shorties. I'm going to read them. Are they are they little shorties? They're little shorties. Are they little smokies? Uh, oh, I wish. No, you don't. I, I, I always like the little smoke. Those are disgusting. I, I, you won't shame me. They are bad. That, that ain't food. <laughs> really. Disagree. JD says, Not to disregard Ms. Disney's thesis. This is regarding the American uh, Dream, Dream documentary. Yes, another fairy tale. But maybe if Walt Disney hadn't been so militantly anti-union in his time, the status of low-level employees in the company he founded would not have been able to decay as rapidly as it has. Valid, valid points. Yep. And Kathy uh, says, after watching God's Country, I have so many thoughts. I lived in rural southwest Montana briefly. Traveled to Bozeman and Missoula regularly while I was there. I can count on one hand the number of black people I encountered. Wow. And of course, I learned that that was not by coincidence. Mm. Richard Spencer and his cronies reside in northwest Montana by Flathead Lake, and it's true that the state is very underpoliced. There's only about a million people who live in all of Montana. Generally, my impression while I was there is that people left each other alone. Some of the values I observed was keeping the land pristine and respecting other people's property. But there is an obnoxiously ubiquitous hunting culture there, and I can easily see, given the context, how a story like this one would play out. There are certainly more hate groups by volume in other parts of the country, but in those places there's generally a larger population and thus police and media presence. All of which is to say that the people who made this film clearly did their research. It was also so beautifully shot, capturing how majestic the landscape really is, and I agree. Tantaway Newton deserves all the accolades. It warmed my heart when I saw friend and neighbor Gary Cotty's name in the credits. Oh, well, awesome. <laughs> That's it. Those are the letters. That That's is. the podcast. 
end of cinema. Yes. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Check out my other podcasts, uh, Maximum Film on the Maximum Fun Network, uh, Breakfast All Day with Christy Lemire. You can catch us on YouTube or in your favorite podcatcher. Uh, it's also where you can find me on Deck the Hallmark. I, as Dave mentioned, I just went for the uh, marathon to kick off their fifth season and to launch the latest season of the Hallmark Channel's Countdown to Christmas. And seemingly did not bring me home one COVID. Uh Fingers crossed. Knock yeah, wood. You brought me home other treats. I did. But um, no COVID. But, you know, you can check out the, we, we, at the end of the marathon, we reviewed the first three movies of the season of the yeah. 40 new movies that Hallmark is showing this year. Uh, and you can catch all of those this week uh, on YouTube or at the Deck the Hallmark uh, podcast feed. Um, you can, of course, subscribe to this program at Apple Podcast. And if you leave us a five-star review, we'll read it on the show. You can also leave us positive feedback in the many places that we stream, including uh, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, um, uh, Amazon Music, Google Play, yeah. CastBox, Podbean, The Lounge, etc. Um, thank you, Blue, for our wonderful theme music. Uh, check out what he's up to over at Blue, B-L-E-U, bandcamp.com um, you can uh, follow us on Twitter Instagram and Facebook at Linoleum Cast and drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com uh, we'll be back next time with more including Till yes uh, and until then goodbye <laughs>